Chapter 5. My second year at university, I was back in EC for a second tour of duty with both Eli and Smelly. I came back flush with cash and ready to party. We were second years in residence. That meant something to us. We decided to throw a floor party. We sold tickets to other students on residence. We sold over 80 tickets. It wasn't about the money. We just wanted a party. We spent it all. We bought over $800 in booze. Every room on our floor had a special drink and its own playlist. It was a different party in every room. Great music and fun. I made margaritas in my room. My room was packed. I had spent a long time playing. It was so cool. Another friend entered my life that year. Mash was Muslim South Asian Canadian from Vancouver. He had that Van City cash money baller vibe. We worked out and played ball together. We also hit the clubs. Mash had his head on straight. He was driven and motivated, not distracted like me. Mash did well in school and was enrolled in health and information science, similar to what my friends Neo and Fez would both later transfer into. This program seemed to produce a lot of successful grads that got jobs easily. Mash and I would also party together. We both liked to chase girls a bit. Mash lived off campus and had wheels. Mash was social and knew how to talk to girls. And there were a lot in his program. I think I felt the dorms were a bit too white. I liked having different kinds of friends. I admired Mash's drive. He was going somewhere. My first year at university, I didn't perform very well academically. I failed classes and didn't even care. The second year, I took different electives, more computer science and redos on the fails. I couldn't concentrate. I was having too much fun. The partying continued. I was also hitting the casino. There was no Texas Hold'em, just blackjack and roulette. I lost a lot of money and got hooked on gambling. I was lost. I had no direction. Eli liked gambling big time. He was always into sports action lotto tickets. Hockey, but especially football. He played all the time. He'd win a few grand here and there. Several years later, I would read he finally hit it big and made over a hundred grand on a winning ticket. He never gave up. I wondered if he had covered his lifetime buy-in. I'm sure he would never tell me. Computer science would not hold my attention, and I was just falling behind in calculus. I had taken some political science classes, but did not have the discipline to write papers. I was failing too much and got put on university probation. Things seemed like they were unraveling in my life. I had also broken up with Tia. I had hit rock bottom. I was abusing alcohol. I tore down a door in the bathroom one night when I came home from the bar. Afterwards, I panicked so hard that I was going to get kicked out of residence. 
I don't know if it was living in the basement of EC. There wasn't much natural light coming into my room. I was staying up late and sleeping all day. I was depressed. There wasn't a target, a goal, something pushing me to achieve more. I told housing that I had $1,000 of my tuition money in cash stolen from my room. That was my cover for tearing down the bathroom door. I was a victim of theft, something relatable. Police came to my room and logged the theft. I said I left my door unlocked accidentally. There was nothing they could do. I was charged for the door by housing services. I happily paid for it. I deserved that. I wasn't kicked out of residence. Thank God. I'm not sure how I got out of that spiral. I encountered shrooms that year, which might have given me some direction to persevere. I felt like I had lots to offer, more than people could see, more than I could see. During our second year, Eli would bring his younger brother, Dana, out to Victoria. Dana was a funny guy. He wasn't as smart or as competitive as Eli, but he seemed to be more street savvy. He had a more of a blue collar personality. Dana and Eli had worked on the oil rigs. Eli once and Dana several times. Dana oozed toughness. He made me think of high school parties out in the bush with beers and fire. I could tell he had been in fights. He took Eli's lead on most things. It was funny to see Eli dominate their relationship in terms of control. What Eli said was law. Dana followed suit. If Dana questioned it or didn't get it, Eli would just give him a look. I guess Dana knew better than I that Eli could kick the shit out of him if he wanted to. There was something about Dana that made me uneasy though. Eli, Dana, Chucky, Smelly, and I did shrooms together. On our shrooms trip, we would usually go outside at night into a wooded area like Mount Tolmy or Mount Douglas. During those trips, I would observe some strange dynamics between Eli and Dana, almost like they were mind reading or had a predetermined agenda. It was a little creepy. There was something about the brothers I couldn't quite peg. I think at one point I started to trip out and wonder if Dana was racist. Maybe they were out to get me. Dana and Eli both had white vehicles. They say white vehicles don't get pulled over as much by the cops. They're safer because they're more visible and are also cheaper because white is a basic color. But I don't know. His parents also had white vehicles. Dana had brought some of his friends around. It kind of rubbed me the wrong way. These weren't guys that went to university, I thought to myself. They were different. Dana shaved his head once. It reminded me of American History X. Dana looked at me f in a funny way sometimes. I don't think they were out to get me. He always respected me. In our first year, there was a tall, half-black guy named Jerry in our dorm, whose room was next to Eli. Jerry was huge, like 6'9". He was totally a computer gamer. 
I was curious as to why Jerry didn't play basketball. If I was his height, I would definitely be going to the NBA, I thought to myself. He did. Shouldn't he be on the UVic team? Jerry had got late acceptance to UVic like me, and thus didn't have a position on the team. I got him out to shoot at the gym behind the bus leap. Jerry had game. I was a better three-point shooter. His height was too much for me. Jerry played ball like a perimeter player, even though he was considered post-height. One night while partying in another dorm building, in which my high school classmates Nomis and Ronnie had a room together, Eli and Jerry got into it in the hallway. It wasn't a wide hallway in that building. This was close combat. Eli managed to give Jerry a black eye. Jerry had said something under his breath to Eli in passing, perhaps about Eli's girlfriend. I don't remember the exact details. I do remember that it felt a bit unwarranted. It was also weird for me since I didn't have issues with Jerry and we had been cool balling. I always try to keep a friendly demeanor with people I meet, no matter their background and especially if they are different. Everyone should be given the benefit of the doubt as we all have our story. After that, I didn't hang with Jerry though. I felt caught in the middle a bit. I wanted to defend Jerry. Unfortunately, I couldn't. My loyalty was with Eli. Jerry would go on to play with the Vikes. Jerry's roommate Fez, from Brazil originally, made his way into our circle more after that. He didn't really like Jerry for whatever reason either. Roommates, I guess. Fez was funny. Eli always called him Third World. Rolling with Eli boosted my ego for sure. Part of his invincibility seemed to cover me as well. When you give a giant a black eye, people start to fear you. Jerry hadn't touched Eli. He probably knew Eli could kill him if he wanted. After that punch, Jerry wasn't a scrapper. Jerry had to duck his head going through doorways. Eli came off as a real tough guy on residence. Perhaps that was his goal. That Halloween, there was a dance in the residence cafeteria. I was dressed in a toga. I thought, at least. I didn't have a costume, and the sheet was the next best thing. That night, I would hit the dance floor and find myself dancing with Mgidge. I know what you're thinking. What kind of name is that? Mgidge was the most beautiful girl I had ever seen in my life, period. I had spotted Mgidge during the first weeks of semester. I already knew her name, somehow. I had an inkling she was mixed race. When I leaned in to ask about her name, she also told me she was half Tibetan. I was right in my mind. She was a 12, 
out of 10. She asked me about my costume. She told me she thought I was Gandhi. She had on a cat suit. I grabbed her tail. She smiled with her eyes. I laughed. I was blown away as I was talking to her and dancing with her. There was a connection. I got her number on a scrap of paper. It didn't get any better than that. Literally. I didn't have the guts. She was out of my league. I left it at that. I had a perfect memory of her. No need to ruin it. As my fishing season was only in July and August, I had two months to work beforehand. Upon Chucky's recommendation, I decided to go tree planting. Chucky was originally born in South Africa, but grew up in Powell River. He was short, overweight, and non-athletic. It didn't matter. He was funny. He listened to a lot of different music. He liked U2, Radiohead, Oasis, not North American necessarily, which interested me as I was opening up to guitar-based genre music. Chucky didn't seem like an average Canadian. He was interested in the world outside of Canada. He was studying political science, which I was interested in. Chucky lived at the opposite end of the hall from Eli. I landed in Quesnel. Planting trees is a monotonous job. It's real fucking boring. There's not much excitement in it at all. I had brought Jane with me. I had aspirations of selling on the side when I was tree planting. I was planting trees like a machine. I picked up a couple CDs that summer. One was a Derek Carter House music CD. The other was a BBC Live Sessions Led Zeppelin double CD. I got the House music CD at HMV Victoria downtown on Yates right before I left. The Led Zeppelin CDs I picked up in a pawn shop in Quesnel. I also bought The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich, written as historical nonfiction. As an adult, I gravitated towards nonfiction. I think it started after picking up The Economist magazine while we were in Asia. My mother used to buy it occasionally. After having been working out with Eli and living in residence, I had put on some weight, not just muscle. I wanted to get cut and I figured I'd be working all summer so I picked up creatine and some hydroxycut. Hydroxycut contained ephedrine, a drug that speeds your heart up and helps burn fat. It also contains a lot of caffeine. I would plant listening to those CDs on repeat every so often lighting a J. The music was the highlight of the trip. Halfway through the spring season, I developed tendinitis in my arms. It was awful. I developed it really bad in my left forearm and both my elbows. There were these giants from Mali who spoke French. They were from Winnipeg. One of these guys must have been like 6'5", because he only needed to take one step to my two before planting the next tree. I couldn't believe the number of trees he was putting in the ground. I was trying to get my numbers up. 
They say it takes a season to get the technique perfected. I obviously messed up. When I showed the crew manager my arms, he said, you're done. I had been pounding and pushing the shovel too hard into the dirt. The impact on my arms was inflammatory. The pain was excruciating. I couldn't work. I could hardly move my arms. I ended up getting workers' compensation for the rest of the season, which was peanuts. I did get to gain some extra summer vacation. Eli was working at the golf shop nearby our neighborhood. Eli's house back in Surrey was really close to mine. I used to ride my bike in that area and we both played in the same forested areas, though not at the same time growing up. During the summer, we would still hang out and drink on the weekends. One weekend, Eli had a sprinting competition in Kelowna. Eli, Jay Money, who was a friend of Eli's from football, and myself drove in Eli's car there. Three of us hung out a bit that summer. Jay Money was going to UBC. His father was a banker. He would follow in suit. Eli and I would go into Vancouver a bit to party with Jay Money at the time. Jay Money was a big guy, about 6'4". When I rolled with Eli and Jay Money, I felt invincible. Like I had two bodyguards on either side. When we pulled into the hotel in Kelowna, not even five minutes in, we had found a fight. I don't know what it's like these days, but I think there was some strong racism in Kelowna in those days. I'm not sure. It also made me wonder, when strangers look at me in Canada, do they think I'm First Nations? We pulled up in this overhang area. On one side was the lobby. On the other side, an entrance on the inside of some doors to a bar. I literally get out of the car first and look towards the opposite side of the check-in. There was a guy about my height standing looking through the glass probably 15 feet away. He looks straight at me and gives me the middle finger. Eli and Jay Money had not disembarked the vehicle, so he didn't see them. I walk to go into the area the guy was standing in. As I opened the door, Eli and Jay Money were opening their doors and getting out. I yelled over to them, yo guys, and went inside. I said to the guy, what the fuck's your problem? He says nothing. He goes back into the bar. I guess he was calling some backup from the bar. Just as two guys come out of the bar, Eli and Jay Money roll into this small foyer area. I say to them, this guy's got a fucking problem. He fingered me. The guy's friends were bigger than me, but Eli and Jay Money were bigger than them. I had my own bodyguards. The guy was roughly the same height as me. The guy was a bit drunk and stunned I had backup, but for some reason he still wanted to throw down. 
At this point, I had Jay Money to the right of me and Eli on my left. I wasn't scared of the other guys. The guy swung. He had his hand coming from his pocket and he clocked me in my left temple. I swung back and he collapsed to the floor. After that, I blacked out. At least, that's what they told me. The feeling of friendship with guys that got your back in a fight is like no other. Brothers in arms. The guys got us checked in. I got ice and we were in the hotel room. I had a concussion. I just wanted to sleep. They wouldn't let me. We still managed to go out and hit the bar that night. Eli would race the next day. Fortunately, my tendonitis-riddled arms recovered by fishing season. During my second fishing season, I met this strange character named Dubay. He seemed like he was out of a cartoon or something. He was about 50 years old. A short guy drove an 80s a blue Camaro. He had stories. He had been fishing in the late 70s when salmon fishing was like the Wild West. He said doing the same work we were doing back then, guys would pull in 30 or 40K just working those two months of the year. Crazy thought to myself, I'm alive in the wrong time. Dubay taught me how to play cribbage, a very strategic card game. We used to gamble for pegs. He also cut a deck of cards with one hand. As a young kid, I loved magic and card tricks. I had never learned how to perform this cut. Dubay was the tie-up man on the boat. It was the most dangerous position. Before the skiff hit the shore, Dubay would be leaping through the air and hitting the beach hard, sprinting up to the strap. He was operating at a higher caliber than the rest of us. He was a seasoned pro at this. A couple of times, Romanov even had to tell him to tone it down a bit. This guy was so intense. Sometimes when he did things, it looked like he didn't care it was dangerous. He liked it. It was a rush. He was standing on the rail of the boat while trying to shake the fish off the net. Just some acrobatic type shit you don't expect out of a guy on a fucking fishing boat. I never expected Romanov to tell anyone to tone it down. I started to wonder if Dubay was a time traveler. He wore a black pair of sunglasses all the time. You rarely saw his eyes. When he was on the shore while we were towing the net, he would partake in activities matching the name. That guy brought an ounce of grass on the boat and liked to toke. He shared with me and another guy, Rick's brother, Fishhead. We'd have the occasional safety meeting on the stern of the boat, hidden by the net and the drum after our shift. I'm sure Romanov knew the boat had weird aerodynamics on it. I spent a lot of time when we weren't working, reading books and listening to music, especially on the roof. I started getting into listening to full albums. Rick had some CDs on board. 
I recall listening and finding appreciation for Metallica, Stevie Ray Vaughan, Hendrix, and John Lee Hooker. Sitting on the top deck of the boat when you sailed up north was worth the whole trip in itself. The stars just surround you above. There's nothing like it. It helps give you perspective seeing how vast the stars spread out. It's calming. I wondered about the meaning of life up there a lot. I was drawing inspiration from the stars. Rick was going back to school at UBC to be a doctor, and his brother Fishhead had worked on boats too, and was trying to get a job with the Canadian Coast Guard. Rick was an intelligent guy, obviously, wanting to be a doctor and all. He also was the ship's cook and had a good variety of dishes that never disappointed the crew. Eating is important when you're doing physical work. A good meal is something you look forward to and falling asleep with a full stomach after a hard day's work can be a reward in itself. Fishing that season had not been as profitable as the previous one, but still provided enough money with my student loans for school that I wasn't worried about it. 